Welcome to Outside Source Football. This is a show about what's going on inside the NFL. Your hosts, Evan Mick and Ty Ruddy, bring the latest predictions and updates from the league. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to 1017 Radio Free Hillsdale. This is Outside Source Football. My name is Evan Mick, and today I will be talking DBs in the draft, and I will be ranking positional value of all positions in the NFL. So let's jump straight in with corners. So I'm going to start with number seven, Emmanuel Forbes out of Mississippi State. He's listed at 6'1", 165. Wow. When I watch this guy's film, that's just all I'm thinking. He has horrible footwork. He's small, but he's a playmaker. He has a ceiling of a great league corner. He's just very raw. He's not super physical, and at his size, he won't be a good tackler at the next level. But he could put on weight and still be an athlete. As far as play-to-play consistency, as far as a day-one starter, bottom of the list. But in terms of raw athletic ability, and if you want a guy to develop for future years, this is a guy that you want to pick. At number six, I have Kylie Ringo out of Georgia. He's listed at 6'2", 210. He's good at covering the deep ball, and he gets his head around well. But he's consistently worried about deep speed, and he always plays over the top. This could be because he plays at Georgia, and it doesn't matter most games. When he gets beat underneath, eventually these players are going to make a sack for him. They're going to make a big play. So when he gets beat underneath consistently, they're not going to score touchdowns. The reason why Ohio State was able to put up so many points on Georgia, though, is because their line gave Shroud enough time, which is something that Ringo and other DBs rarely faced, which is it's a different ball game after three or four seconds. A lot of his technique will need to be changed, and he's a good athlete. So if he adjusts well, I think it'll be just fine. At my number five, I have Dante Banks. He consistently tackles high, but he's extremely good at squaring up receivers and running backs and breaking down before tackling. He's good coverage, especially on fades, our deep streaks or whatever you want to call them. But I wish he'd get his head around more, like Kylie Ringo gets his head around really well. Dante Banks doesn't get his head around, and his first year, he'll probably draw a couple DPIs because of it. His eyes get in the backfield sometimes also, and they can get he can get lost in a play action, which is super unfortunate. He's got to work on that. At my number four spot, I have Cam Smith out of South Carolina. He's listed at 6'1", 180. Great tackler, extremely smart player. Now, he is a redshirt junior, so he does have that age, which means which probably is what helps make him smart. He's a decent zone player, but not super great at press. When he's pressing, he isn't physical enough. He likes to just back up right away instead of trying to get hands-on or letting the receiver come to him and see what move he's making. He likes to retreat right away, which is a really bad habit for him. I think he could work on it, but it's not something that's easy to break as a habit at this point. But I think his intelligence, more so than anything else, will help him be a really good corner at the next level. For my top three, I believe that these guys right here are the first-round picks of the draft. I think that Cam Smith is maybe a borderline first-line pick, but I don't really see him as one. I see him as an early second-round pick. I think that my number three guy is like a a 20 pick, like the 20-ish pick. Joey Porter Jr. out of Penn State is my number three. He's listed at 6'2", 195. I really like that he's physical. My top three corners are all different players, and I think that these top three are a lot closer than people realize in terms of talent. Number one and number two are just both have one specific special quality that they're really good at, which is extremely rare. Joey Porter Jr. does not have this special quality. 
but he's the most pro-ready. He's the most consistent. On a play-to-play basis, this guy is the guy who's going to make a play for your team. If you're already competing for a championship or you don't want to develop a corner, your corner development hasn't been that good, or you have a really, really good defensive line so you don't need phenomenal corners, this guy on a play-to-play basis, not the best athlete, but he's smart. He covers well. He's very, very, very consistent. He's also not great at pressing, but he's really, really, really good at zone. Even in deep halves, which is more of like a safety thing, he still excels in that, any type of zone coverage, which means that you can you have the ability now to shift your players, which is something that's very valuable because then the quarterback doesn't know what the read is until after the ball is already snapped. I like him a lot. He's decently long. He's 6'2". He's not light. He's like 195. He's not the best all-around athlete in the world, but he's a talented prospect. I give this guy his, his props. I think he'll be a very, very, very good football player. At number two, I have Christian Gonzalez out of Oregon. He's 6'2", 200 pounds. He has the best combine measurements in terms of athletics, which isn't super important unless it shows on the field, which it does. He has phenomenal hip turn speed. If a DB turns him 90 degrees, which is normally an absolute loss for a corner, it's not a bad thing for him. I mean, it it is a bad thing for him, but it's not as bad as it should be. He can recover because of how great of an athlete he is, even when he gets turned the wrong way. He has very good ball skills. I mean, there are reasons why he is a DB. He doesn't have quite the ball skills of like a Trayvon Diggs or like a receiver. His concentration needs some work. But for a corner, his catching is really, really good when the ball is in the air. He's not a good tackler. He's okay. He's not as bad as like Trayvon Diggs was last year. If a receiver is in front of him and the receiver gets squared up, he's just going to blow right past him because he uses his speed. He doesn't break down well. He normally is so close on the hip, though, of the receiver that he's defending that it doesn't really matter because he just has to drag them down while they're making the catch. He's good in terms of pass breakups. Not great. I mean, he's not just getting mossed out there, but he's also not punching the ball out every single play. His best trait is by far his athleticism because it helps with his man coverage ability. Oregon often makes his life hard because they don't really give him safety help. This could possibly be because they know his talent because they know the ability that he has, so they're really challenging him this year. This could be because they got ran against a lot instead of passed against a lot. There could be a multitude of different reasons, but Oregon didn't give him a lot of help. So if you hear all these things and you're like, why is he number one, then again, physical traits are just so good. Look up a play, Oregon versus Georgia, 33 seconds left in the first half, first and goal, or maybe second and goal. Just watch number zero at the top of the screen, and you'll see why. He does this phenomenal hip turn against a tight end or a receiver who absolutely burns him. He's absolutely left in the dust, and literally a second into the play, you're like, what happened? I swear that guy was literally wide open in the end zone, and then all of a sudden he's just not. Trayvon Diggs just kind of – not Trayvon Diggs, sorry. Christian Gonzalez just hip turns, flies back there. Absolutely insane play. He's also extremely young. He's only a sophomore with a lot of room to grow. Very, very raw prospect, but by far the highest ceiling out of anyone on this entire board. He's by far the best athlete out of anyone on this entire board, too. It's just nobody else could match him 
in terms of athleticism, but he can learn. It's easier to learn how to play corner, how to get better form, how to have better footwork than it is to learn athleticism. Once you get to a certain point, your athleticism's kind of peaked. Maybe you get a little bit better, but after a certain point, it is hard to grow. This leads me to my number one corner. My highest ranked corner in the 2023 NFL Draft is Devin Witherspoon out of Illinois. He's listed at 5'11 and a half, 180 pounds. I don't normally say the half, but it's just 5'11 and exactly a half. So he's close to six foot, but he's not quite six foot. I wanted people to actually know how tall he was, unlike the other prospects where it's not as important. I just think that it, it's really, really important for some reason. He's a huge hitter, and he's phenomenal at timing up snaps. He's amazing in zone coverage and reads a QB's eyes really, really, really well. So if a QB is looking at the right side, he'll follow the right side. Other than like a Matthew Stafford, a lot of the times QBs will stare down their receivers every once in a while and corners and safeties will be able to make plays on this. This will be really, really, really helpful for him. He's very consistent in coverage and he's really, really good ball skills in terms of pass breakups. So if a tight end has the ball and he's right there, he's knocking that ball out of the tight end's hands. He's getting his arm right in between the chest of the player and the ball and then like swiping the ball out of their hands in order to make sure that they can't catch it. He may be a big hitter, but sometimes he's flying so fast down hills without breaking down that he'll miss. But he's a corner and all corners make missed tackles every once in a while. Like this isn't a huge, huge knock on him. This is probably not how his career will look, but I think that he would be a phenomenal slot corner. Slot corners are few and far between. It is very, very hard to find a good slot corner. They're all kind of the same, and I think that he would just be excellent because of his combination of his tackling ability and his pass breakup ability, especially against like a tight end. He would be absolutely phenomenal in the slot, even if he wasn't there the whole game. If they moved him back and forth wherever necessary, like on third down, put him in the slot, I could see it. I, I actually think that it would work really well for him. I don't think that's how his career will look but I think he'd be really good at it. Thank you for listening to Outside Source Football on 101.7 Radio Free Hillsdale. We're moving on from the corners rankings to safety rankings. So before I start on the safety rankings, I think I'm going to name two things that makes ranking safeties harder than really any other position. There's two things. One, it depends on his team's scheme way more than any other position and a team's talent. How much single high versus double high safety, how much man versus zone coverage, how often they are guarding big tight ends or fast receivers or running backs even, and how often do they blitz. The second hard thing to rank about safeties is that safeties have a hard time adjusting in the NFL because of how different they have to play depending on their play style and how their team is built. And it often takes them longer to adjust, which makes them harder to rank because they're more dependent on the development and the teams they play on. But with all that being said, let's get started at number seven. At my number seven, I have Jamie Robinson out of Florida State. He's listed at 5'11", 190. He doesn't wrap up well, and he's not a bad tackler per se, but he just doesn't wrap up well. He's not great in coverage. His only interception this year wasn't even close to the play, and the QB just kind of overthrew the tight end, and the tight end didn't jump high enough. 
I'm not really sure who you would blame, the quarterback or the tight end. Depends on who the tight end was and who the quarterback was. But, like, he didn't make this play. It was just an error. He was literally eight yards away from it. It was just an overthrow. It fell right into his hands. I believe, now this is this is a total guess. In my opinion, he definitely played linebacker at some point. In high school, earlier in college maybe, and Florida used him really, really well by having him come downhill a lot. If a team like in the NFL does that for him, if a team like how the 49ers use Kyle Hufunga this year, then he'll be fine. He'll turn out fine. But if a team uses him in coverage constantly and a team uses him, especially in man coverage, he will do extremely, extremely poorly in the NFL. At my number six, I have J.L. Skinner out of Boise State. He is a decent trigger. By that, I mean he does a decent job coming downhill from the safety position in order to stop the run. He's an okay tackler. He puts his head down before tackling a lot and can miss the ball carrier that way. It's also a very dangerous way of tackling, but I'm not going to pretend like I don't know kids who have done it before and been successful, but he misses on ball carriers that way. He's not that great at coverage, and he fails to get his head around on a consistent basis. He plays the receiver to jar the ball loose, which is can work really well, except his timing isn't great. So if he fixes up his timing, then all those things can get better, but his timing for right now needs a little bit of work. At my number five ranked safety, I have Jordan Battle out of Alabama. He's their second best safety. He's not the only safety on this list. He has pretty good ball skills. Not perfect. Not great. He's a safety. He's a defensive back. Defensive backs, you know, everybody says defensive backs were just at one point receivers who couldn't catch, so they moved to defense. So he's pretty good ball skills for a safety. He's not super fast, but he's pretty strong. He's insanely smart, especially at undercutting routes when in zone coverage. So if he sees a a receiver running a post, he'll try to get under that while the corner is, you know, guarding him and try to get that interception. He's a decent tackler, but he's a better tackler while he's in the box. He does not cover well deep downfield. Definitely the biggest hole in his game. And as a safety, that's not something that's easy to hide. He would fit well as a cover linebacker more than a safety or as a goal line safety or as a star. He would fit really, really well in those positions. A star plays mostly contain on the outside, covering the outside running back on a flare, that type of thing. That's what a star does. He would be down near the box in that situation with not a lot of downfield coverage responsibilities, which means that he would be a mostly situational player. Like This would be a phenomenal position for him but I don't see a whole bunch of that upside in the NFL until really we get to this number four safety. I don't really see high-level safety talent in this draft class. So with that being said, my number four obviously is the start of my NFL talents, the guys that I think could be starters right away in the NFL. Number four is Christopher Smith out of Georgia. He's listed at 5'11", 190. This guy has phenomenal reaction time. He's pretty raw, though. I will say he's He's pretty raw as a prospect. He's not fine-tuned. This could be because he doesn't need to cover for more than two or three seconds very often. He's a pretty decent tackler, good athlete. His man coverage is okay. He plays a really good deep zone where he, when he understands the concept, but he usually doesn't understand the concept. There's just a lot of talent there and a lot of athleticism with him. So I think he'll need some development once he gets into the NFL, but he's pretty pro-ready. And he's pretty athletic, and I could see him being a a pretty good athlete in the NFL. 
At number three, I have Antonio Johnson out of Texas A&M. He's listed at 6'2", 200 pounds. He's definitely a strong safety. He hits really well, but he doesn't wrap up and put his head down instead. He's really good at avoiding blockers, and he does a great job of getting physical and disrupting receivers' routes. So almost what the Chargers did last year to like a Tyreek Hill and a Jalen Waddell in order to disrupt Tua's timing, he does a really, really good job. But in terms of straight-up coverage, he's okay. He's not bad. He's not phenomenal, though. The ability to get receivers off their routes helps. But other than that, he's he's okay. He's an A-plus athlete, though. I think he is a day-one starter, and I think that he has development. I think that he could even get better, and he could improve as his career goes on because he is an A-plus athlete. At my number two spot, I have Sidney Brown out of Illinois. He's listed at 5'10", 210. He has explosive speed. Not super fast straight line, but the ability to cover a receiver with fast stop and go receipt, fast stop and go speed. He's more of a hybrid safety, which is probably one of my favorite things about him, the fact that he can fit into multiple schemes. He's a pretty good tackler. He's pretty decent at blitzing. His coverage is good. He's really really good at getting his arm between the chest and creating pass breakups. Getting your arm between the chest and the ball, and then swatting that ball out, pulling the ball out, whatever it takes to get the ball onto the ground. He's not super acrobatic, acrobatically athletic in terms of vertical ball tracking, so he doesn't make these crazy jumps where he gets one hand up there and tips it. He usually stays a lot closer to the ground, but because he is better at being physical and not being acrobatic, he plays the receiver, which is exactly what he should be doing because of his skill set. He does that really well, and he's usually really, really good at timing it up. I think he'll get a couple defensive pass interferences his first year because the timing will change. Everything will get a lot faster. But after he figures out the timing again with these new quarterbacks, with these new receivers, I don't think it'll be a huge problem. I think he'll be able to fix it pretty easily. In everything except acrobatics, A-plus athlete. Probably a better athlete than number one. Maybe not as good Definitely not as good acrobatically, but maybe a little bit faster, a little bit more explosive. I really, really like Sidney Brown as an athlete straight up. At my number one, I have Brian Branch out of Alabama. Probably to nobody's surprise, this guy is by far the number one safety. He's the number one safety on everybody's draft board. It's not really that close. He's listed at six five, six foot, sorry, six foot one ninety five. He's definitely a strong safety. He's a great tackler, especially because he does a great job consistently going downhill to make the tackle and not giving up any ground, even though he is breaking down. So he consistently makes way towards the the receiver or the running back, doesn't give up any ground, but he still breaks down. He's also built well at six foot one ninety five to be able to tackle any position from tight end to receivers because he's kind of that in-between build where he's fast enough to tackle a receiver, but big enough to tackle a tight end. He's a very, very, very good blitzer, mostly because he's willing to blow up the running back. Often in the NFL, if he is blitzing, because it's um, B.O.B., big on big, so the lineman will try to block the defensive lineman while leaving the linebackers and skinnier safeties for the running backs. So often in the NFL, he will be blocked by those running backs, excuse me, 
he will often be blocked by those running backs, and since he's willing to blow them up and hit them back into the quarterback, he'll affect the play when he's blitzing. He's not like Jamal Adams, where you want him blitzing every play, where that is his skill set. He's not that level of superstar, but he's still a pretty good blitzer. He is acrobatic. Good in-air body control. He can misjudge the ball every once in a while, but it doesn't happen that often. His worst quality is his man coverage, which isn't that bad because he's not a guy you want on man coverage consistently. It isn't a huge hole in his game. It's just not much of a strong suit for him. It's something that you want him to work on, but it's not something that you say, oh my gosh, I'm not drafting this guy because he can't cover man coverage at all. Definitely something that he has to work on, but he's pretty he's pretty good at it. He's just not great. So that's Brian Branch out of Alabama. And that completes our safety rankings. Thank you for listening to Outside Source Football on 1017 Radio Free Hillsdale. Please go follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at OSFB underscore pod. And we thank you for listening. And we will be back in after a quick, quick break. Come back after the break to listen to Positional Value, where I rank all the positions based on how much value they have in trades and draft and all that stuff like that. And where I give my top five big board of what I think will happen in the first five picks of the 2023 NFL draft if there are no trades. Welcome back to 1017 Radio Free Hillsdale. My name is Evan Mick. This is Outside Source Football, and we're going through top five big board. So this top five big board is in terms of how I think the draft will go if there are no trades in the top five. Now, I know there are a lot of rumors about the Cardinals trading down. There are probably some rumors about every team trading down, to be honest, or trading up You know, for the Cardinals pick. But this is just if there are no trades, this is what I think will happen. So at number one pick, the first overall pick in the 2023 NFL Draft, the Panthers will select C.J. Stroud. This is undoubtedly my most confidence I have in a pick. Look up everything about the Panthers and C.J. Stroud. Their QB coach said something like, we'll find you a court out in Carolina. They had like 15 scouts at his pro day. I mean, they're getting a star. You can't go wrong with Stroud. Wrong with Stroud. He's a day one NFL starter. There are no specific concerns, and I think he'll be a great NFL quarterback, no matter what the Ohio State quarterback curse has. But I think that C.J. Stroud is a really good pick for them. I think that it will be their pick, especially because the odds keep going down and down. He's like was like minus 240 last week to be the first overall pick. That's kind of insane odds when you consider all the possibilities. But I think that he will be the first pick. Carolina traded up to get a quarterback for sure. And I think that'll be CJ Stroud. With the second overall pick in the 2023 NFL Draft, 
the Houston Texans will select Bryce Young. I think that Bryce Young is an NFL star. He's smaller, but I think he'll pan out fine. Comparing him to Kyler, though, is lazy. I wouldn't compare him to Russ, although you're definitely way closer than you are when comparing him to Kyler. I think Young will be just fine if the Texans gets him if the Texans get him any weapons. They already have a franchise left tackle to protect him. I think he'll be I think he'll turn out fine. Even in the Texans organization. And number three, at the third pick in the 2023 NFL draft, the Arizona Cardinals will select Will Anderson Jr. If the Cardinals don't trade out of the third overall pick, then they'll either select Will Anderson or Jalen Carter. I think they'll select Will Anderson because they just lost J.J. Watt. They need a defensive end. Although they need a lot of other positions, Will Anderson is arguably the best player on the board at their most urgent position of need. They probably won't draft an O-lineman first because they don't need to protect Kyler for most of the year because he already hurt. He won't play the first half. I think it actually would be super interesting if they traded Kyler, Hopkins, and just tried to get a fresh start and drafted a quarterback here. I don't hate it at the third pick. It was just an idea I kind of thought of while I was writing this, and I just thought I should mention it, that they could trade Kyler, trade DeAndre Hopkins, although they wouldn't be getting as much value for Kyler because he's hurt right now. They still would get something pretty good. They could draft a quarterback right here like Anthony Richardson or Will Levis. I hope they don't draft Levis. That would be kind of sad. But they could, and I think it would be a really, really interesting move, and I don't think that you could hate the move. I just don't think that you could absolutely say that they did a horrible thing just trying to start over with where their organization's at right now. Now, based on their interviews, I think they still really like Kyler. Their coach really, really likes Kyler Murray. But I, I think it would be interesting. I think it would. It might not be the best move, but it wouldn't be horrible. Starting over, getting a new, new reset with a new coach, not a bad move. With the number four pick in the 2023 NFL Draft, the Colts select Anthony Richardson. I was going back and forth between Richardson and Davis, but I decided on Richardson because of their new head coach. Their new head coach was the former Philadelphia head coach and coached Jalen Hurts. The Eagles just signed Minshew to a one-year deal, which means that whoever they draft here, because it probably will be a quarterback, will probably sit the first year and then play the second year, or sit most of the first year and then play you know, the last couple of games and then play the second year. Richardson's career would then look just like Jalen Hurts' career. Sit your first year, play your second, and consistently coach him to be a better passer because he already has the athletic ability. You want RPOs, QB options, QB draws? You draft Anthony Richardson. He perfectly fits the system that their coach already ran in Philadelphia. At number five, I have the Seahawks taking Tyree Wilson. The Seahawks would be getting a very high talented dra- defensive end. One of the best players in the draft for sure. But why would they not draft Jalen Carter? Well, because they are already very, very good at defensive tackle. Al Woods, Shelby Harris, they are both on the last years of their contract, but even if you can retain at least one of them, you still have a great player at defensive end, and you don't really need to draft somebody. Their defensive edge rushers, incredibly weak. Probably one of the worst in the league, by far. They need another defensive end, and Terry Wilson could fill that gap. 
able to get extend one of their defensive tackles, and they'll be just fine at defensive tackle, and they'll be getting one of the premier defensive ends in the draft. So I think that they'll end up picking a defensive end. I know I said that this is top five big board, but I think I've finally realized that the Lions might actually get my guy at number six. With doing this mock draft, I realized that all of these picks are extremely realistic and extremely probable. And the Lions at number six will be able to pick Jalen Carter. Possibly the best defensive tackle prospect we've seen in forever. The best one the Lions will have had since Dominican Sue. The Lions are getting a generational prospect at their greatest position of need. I feel the same way about him that I did feel about Kyle Pitts like two years ago, who, despite what the stats say, is one of the best weapons in the league and is one of the best talents in the league still. So that's top five big board. I'll now be moving into positional value, where I rank all the positions based on how much value they have to a team in terms of draft stock and trade talks and contract talks and all that stuff. So there's 14 positions here, and at number 14, I have, probably to nobody's surprise, punters. Very few of them get second contracts because of how easy it is to just sign a new punter for cheap. It's also very hard to tell the difference between a good and a great punter because it's only a one or two yard difference on most punts. That's why a lot of punters don't last very long because it's just it's easy to draft one. It's easy to sign an undrafted free agent punter. Not super difficult. At number 13, I have long snappers. They aren't traded. They aren't paid much. But if they're lost, they're noticed because people will start missing kicks and having bad punts. Evan McPherson last year missed a couple kicks after he lost his long snapper. Missed PATs. That's wild. Evan McPherson's one of the better kickers, and that's not a normal thing. You lose your long snapper, it affects your whole kicking game. At number 12, I have kickers. They can win and lose you games, but there's not a large gap between high and low talent players, and they have no effect on about 99% of the game. So that's my three special teams. Now on to the other positions, offensive and defensive, all mixed in here. But that's all special teams. And number 11, I have running backs. They can create big plays, but they are extremely replaceable. They are almost always often completely dependent on their O-line, and their value in the pass game is extremely small compared to receivers. This can also be proven by recent teams not giving running backs big contracts, and by the few trades involving running backs and high draft picks. Most teams, if you want to say they need offensive help, does not start at running back with maybe the exception of Buffalo. But even Buffalo, I would argue that they need offensive line help way before they need running back help, and the offensive line help will help them make better running backs. At number 10, I have the position of safety because they are dependent on the rest of their team and the scheme of their team. A safety may be top five in one situation where he's constantly coming downhill, but bottom five in another where he's in a single high deep zone coverage. That's partly why you don't see a lot of teams trading for safeties because once they fit in a scheme, they don't always fit in other schemes. But they do have the ability to turn the tide with some interceptions and fumble recoveries and big tackles. And if you find one to fit your scheme, they are extremely hard to replace. At number nine, I have corners. They are extremely dependent on how good your pass rush is. 
but a good one is extremely hard to replace, and since they are often on an island with very little help and are often in the same situation on any team, their talent does not depend on the team they play on. Only their production does. Which makes them valuable in trade talks and in draft value because you don't have to hope they fit your scheme. You only have to hope they're as talented as they look on film. At number tight end, we have our first offensive position on the board. Actually, sorry, running backs. We have our second offensive position on the board. Tight ends. There is a low level of tight ends that hold extreme value, which are few and far between, and there's a big fall off afterward. These tight ends, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Mark Andrews, and Darren Waller, can ignite an offense. If it's Kittle, then it can make it hard for a defensive because he's extremely valuable in the run game and the pass game, so you don't know what he's going to do when he's out there. If it's Kelsey, he can be valued as the top receiver because he's so hard to cover. But if an offense loses a tight end other than these guys, it hurts, but not that bad. The offense still functions. Many tight ends generate a lot of value from scheme more than their talent. Teams like Detroit are a great example. They were better without Hawkinson, and Hawkinson brought slightly more value to the Vikings than Irv Smith. But even though there was a big gap in talent between the two, the offenses of the, the offense of the Vikings only got slightly better, showing that the tight ends don't have that much value, even at a good offensive scheme. At the number seven in positional value, I have offensive guards, our centers, basically interior offensive linemen. I group these two into one. The interior offensive linemen are becoming extremely, sorry, increasingly valuable in the pass game because of their rise in talent of defensive tackles, especially regarding the pass game. But their job is still relatively less important because of replaceability. It is not always easy to replace an offensive guard, but it's not hard to find a serviceable one and still be able to win games. Your offense may not be as efficient, but unless you only run a power scheme and you have a phenomenal offensive guard, which no one only runs a power scheme anymore, your offensive scheme does not really have to change based on losing this offensive guard or center. Hello and welcome to 1017 Radio Free Hillsdale. This is Outside Source Football, and if you're just joining us, I'm currently ranking positional value of each position in the NFL. At number six, I have linebackers, specifically off-ball linebackers. Off-ball linebackers can create chaos for offenses. In 2020, when the Bucks won their Super Bowl, Devin White, their blitzing linebacker, was a staple of their defense, one of their best players. So was Fred Warner in 2022 with the 49ers defense. But they are also extremely dependent on their defensive line. Although they can make great plays without him at times, their D-line brings them value by swallowing up blocks in order to free them up to make plays in the running and pass games. They also don't affect every single play. It's not crazy difficult to avoid throwing or running at a linebacker most plays. Now, you cannot avoid them, and you should not try to do it every single play, but they're easier to avoid than some other positions on the defense. Now, they do bring value in covering passes, but very, very few of them do it extremely well. Fred Warner covers passes very, very well, but not a lot of off-ball linebackers do, so it's not an ex- extremely valuable in that aspect. At the number five most valued position, and probably what I think is most valuable 
maybe compared to other people, like other people would probably rank this position lower, is defensive tackles. They affect the run and the pass. They are more valuable in the run game, which makes them less valuable because the pass game is way more efficient way to move the ball. So it makes them less valuable because they're more valuable in the less efficient way to move the ball. But players like Chris Jones, Quinn Williams, who are blowing up pass plays, who are getting sacks, are the reason why this position is more valuable in 2022 than it has been in the last couple of years. These players are making big plays in the pass game more so than ever before, which makes them extremely, extremely valuable because the pass game is by far the most efficient way to move the ball. And when you can disrupt that by playing defensive tackle, by pushing their offensive guard into the quarterback, the quarterback can't escape anywhere. The quarterback has defensive ends on both sides. Hopefully the offensive tackles are blocking them so the quarterback can escape. But if they can't, the defensive tackle blows up a whole play by pushing an offensive guard four or five yards in the backfield. And that just that's the end of it. And it's also almost impossible to avoid defensive tackles in the run game. If a defensive tackle is fast enough, big enough, if Aaron Donald is blowing you up off the block in the first second because your offensive guard's not that good, then he'll make the play. doesn't matter where the run's going. He's already in the backfield. He's so close to that play that he's just making that play. At my number four most valued position in the NFL, I have offensive tackle. Offense is way more valuable than defense. This has been proven by the best offenses constantly making the playoffs, offensive coaches constantly making the playoffs. It's a way more effective. The pass game is a way more efficient way to move the ball, and the offensive tackles play a large role in the pass game. And they still play a large part in the run game. Teams without top 10 quarterbacks who had top 5 offenses were the top, like the Lions and the 49ers, and they both had franchise left tackles and good right tackles. Lions, Penny Sewell was their right tackle. Phenomenal offensive line, even with though they didn't have the best quarterback. Jared Goff's okay. Jared Goff's not great. They had a great offensive tackle group to protect him they had a great offensive lineman in general so that Jared Goff would have time to throw like he did back in 2017 when he was with the Rams when he was this good it just helps out so much with the pass game now there are players like Jamar Chase and AJ Brown sorry Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow who have proven why you don't maybe necessarily need it to be a top five offense but it's still extremely extremely important because Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase are an anomaly. At my number three most valued position, I have receivers. With the exception of the Lions, every one of the top offenses has a single high talent receivers. And the Lions have a majority, a small amount of like very good receivers. Like they have Amon Ross St. Brown, who's arguably top 10. They still had DJ Chark. They had Jamison Williams, who was pretty good. And they had a better run game. But all the other best offenses have a top tier receiver. But there's also six or seven guys who are that top-tier value, which makes them slightly less valuable, still extremely valuable, like A.J. Brown, Jamar Chase, Devontae Adams. But that makes them extremely valuable compared to everybody else, but not valuable because they can be duplicated because there are other guys out there like them, with the exception of Justin Jefferson, maybe. Justin Jefferson carried the Vikings to a three-seed in the playoffs with not a whole lot of talent around him. Once again, proving receivers, extremely valuable. Justin Jefferson, by far the best player in his offense. Carried a team to the playoffs. Made Kirk Cousins look good. He's not horrible. Kirk Cousins is not horrible. But he made him look way better than he actually is. A.J. Brown, when he was on the Titans, was 
possibly more valuable than A.J. Brown and the Eagles. He won them games with a decent defense, Ryan Tannehill, and no Derrick Henry for the last six games. They were a better team and made the playoffs as the one seed with A.J. Brown. As crazy as it sounds, that Titans A.J. Brown, more valuable to the Titans than the Eagles needed him this year. That's how extremely valuable a top receiver can be, carrying a team. It also largely helps with QB development. It makes QBs look better as well. Josh Allen got better with Stefan Diggs in terms of development. Hertz got better with A.J. Brown in terms of development. Herbert, Justin Herbert, developed faster than Joe Burrow his first year. Now, I know Joe Burrow only played six games, but through those first six games, Justin Herbert developed better as a player because of Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. He had more talent, made him develop faster. That's a constant thing we see, constant theme that we see with all these teams with great wide receivers. Their quarterbacks develop better, and even when those receivers leave, those quarterbacks still have that kind of talent. At my number two most valuable position in the NFL, I have defensive ends. By far the most influential player on defense. They influence almost every single play, and they have big playability. Sacks, huge. The best defenses have great defensive ends. Dallas has Micah Parsons. The 49ers have Joey Bosa. The Patriots have Matthew Judon. These are the be- those were the best three defenses. The Bills were 100 times better earlier in the year when they had Von Miller. Passing is the most efficient way to move the ball. I'm going to keep hammering that point. Passing, by far the most efficient way to move the ball. And defensive ends, having a good pass rush, best way to stop the pass which makes them extremely valuable, and they still have value in the run game. In terms of straight-up talent, JSN, better than any defensive end. But he'll probably get drafted later than the second and third defensive ends, maybe, which just goes to show you the value of defensive ends. And at the number one most valuable position in the NFL, to absolutely probably nobody's surprise, I hope, is quarterbacks. No surprise here, the player who touches the ball Every single play is the most play, most important player on the field. If you can name me a player who's more valuable than Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, or even Lamar Jackson to their team, then we can have an argument, but you can't. Nobody is more valuable to their team than those three players are. If you took those three players off the team, nobody would have a bigger fall-off than, than those three teams. I think Lamar proved it when he didn't play the second half of the season, and they only won, like, two games. They... We're not good offensively, which is more important than defense. And so then they were not good. They lost games because they didn't have Lamar Jackson, because they didn't have that star quarterback that they had before. There's also a huge talent gap. There's a huge talent gap between Patrick Mahomes and the rest of the league. There's a huge talent gap once you get past the top 10. There's a huge talent gap once you get guests like Taylor Heineke. There's talent gaps all over the place which makes them extremely valuable in trading, in drafting, and in contract talks. So thank you for listening to 1017 Radio Free Hillsdale, Outside Source Football. My name is Evan Mick. Go follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at OSFB underscore pod. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a great day, and tune in next week at the exact same time. Hopefully I'll be joined here by Ty Ruddy by then, and thank you so much for listening.